Amen, amen. If you got your Bible, meet me in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Acts chapter 3. And if you were in service with us last week, or perhaps you were watching online, we were in Acts 3 also. And last week, Pastor Gary brought a message called Ready to Receive. And today, I want to continue that message, Ready to Receive, and look at it from a bit of a different angle. And as I said, Pastor Gary spoke on this last week, but Pastor Gary and Ann are actually today out of town. They're visiting Tehachapi, California, and our good friends, Pastors Nick and Jessica Smith, who used to be on staff with us here at the bridge, who pastor a great church up there. They're visiting them this morning, and Pastor Gary is sharing at their church. But I was sitting in service last week and just listening and kind of receiving myself from the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but there were things that I was just kind of lifting up to God myself and saying, God, I need to receive from you. There are needs that I have in my life. And that's what we talked about. We took extra time to worship last week at the end of service and really just positioning ourselves to receive. There's something that happens in our lives when we not only position ourselves to receive, but really we, we come to God with that posture and we say, Father, I don't just believe that you can my, meet my need, and I don't just believe that you're able to meet my need. I believe that you will meet my need, and this is my faith reaching out with open arms, ready to receive from you. But you know, something happens in our lives when we grow as Christians, and we don't always find ourselves just in the position of needing God to meet our need. But this growth takes place where suddenly God gives things to us. We receive from him. And they're not just things that are to us, but they're things that God wants to get through us. I don't know if you know this this morning, but God wants to use you to minister to other people around you. Can somebody say amen to that today? And maybe nobody's told you that because sometimes what we do is we come to church and we always find ourselves in that posture of need. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with having a need. Can I tell you this morning, Bridge family, that there is nothing wrong, there is nothing selfish with bringing your needs to God. Scripture makes it so clear that God knows our needs before we even ask. That was Jesus' words himself. Scripture also says that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy. So there's nothing wrong with having needs. It's not selfish to bring your needs to God. In fact, I would go one step further and I would say that God made you You might not know this about yourself, you might not even admit it, but I believe that God made you a little bit needy, and he made you that way on purpose. Now, some of you are like elbowing your spouse right now, you're like, needy, right here, they need a lot of attention, they need a lot of help, they need a lot of care, and I'll be the first one to admit, I do. And we all need to recognize that. And I think one of the reasons why God wired us and made us that way is so that we would not become self-dependent or self-reliant or reliant on others, but rather, we would see our shortcomings, and we would begin to depend on him a little bit more. Can I tell you this morning, Bridge family, that the end of your road is is the beginning of God's. When your strength comes to an end, that's where God's strength kicks in. The Apostle Paul said it so well. He said, I've learned to be content, and I've learned to understand that his grace is sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. And so this morning, I want to go a little bit further, and I want to talk about not just receiving for myself, but receiving from God for the ministry he's calling me to in the lives of others. I want to go back and recap from where we were last week in Acts chapter 3. Let's read those first few verses in that chapter. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Verse 4 says, And fixing his eyes on him with John, 
Peter said, look at us. And if you were here last week, Pastor Gary talked about how this was Peter and John inviting this lame man who was begging for help, begging for alms, to take his eyes off of his circumstances, to take his eyes off of his surroundings and focus solely in on Peter and John who were really the distributors, the agents that God was using to bring healing into this man's life. And it goes on in verse five and it says, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And this was really the key verse last week because we talked about positioning ourselves or posturing ourselves to receive from God. Again, it's one thing to believe that God can do it. It's another thing to position myself to receive. And it's my declaration of faith saying, God, I believe that you will do it and that you will meet my needs. But look at verse six. This is probably my favorite verse in this chapter. It says, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, this story is amazing on so many levels, but most of all, because this lame man has been healed as Peter and John have approached him, and they really just bring down the power of God. They are distributors, agents, carriers of the power of the Holy Spirit to this man, and he's miraculously healed. There's a lot that could be said about that, but what you see when you read on is that throughout Acts 3 and Acts 4, this subject, this topic of the lame man being healed really becomes the central figure and the central story in the narrative. So I want to just briefly summarize what happens next in this story. It says, after the lame man is healed, that the people are all amazed at what's just happened. How many of you would agree that if you had seen that dude begging by the temple week in and week out, day in and day out, and somebody walked up to him and said, hey, dude, in the name of Jesus Christ of Lazarus, or of Nazareth, (laughs) take up your bed and walk. If you had seen that, how many of you would have been amazed as well? Suddenly his feet, his ankles, his legs, his bones just take shape. He stands up and begins walking. I would have been blown away. So blown away that I can't even get my words straight this morning. (laughs) But you go on and Peter then explains that this happened by the power of God in the name of Jesus. And he goes on and he appeals to them to be saved. And at least 2,000 more men, the scripture says, are added to the kingdom where they believe in Christ that day. And the reason why I say it that way is because it's a little bit difficult to interpret this passage of Scripture. It tells us that in total there are now 5,000 believers. And Bible scholars kind of see this differently. We don't know if 2,000 more were added after the 3,000 in Acts 2, or we don't know if 5,000 altogether came to Christ after this healing miracle took place. We're not quite sure. But it says that there were at least 5,000 men who are now part of the church of Jesus Christ. And after this happens, Peter and John are then arrested by the Sanhedrin, which was, of course, a Jewish council of rabbis. And they're questioned about what has just happened. And the Sanhedrin saw that this lame man has been healed and that he could not deny it. In fact, you read the passage and it says that even though they arrest Peter and John, they can't argue or deny the fact that the lame man has been healed. They don't understand how it happened. They don't understand the power that they're operating in, but they do not deny that it's happened. 
So what happens next? They eventually let Peter and John go. They, they kind of release them from being in custody, but they forbid them from teaching or preaching in the name of Jesus. How many know that Peter and John didn't exactly stop there? They continued to preach in the name of Jesus. But there's this one verse when you get to the next chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 4, that I want to focus on this morning because Acts 4.13 is an amazing verse. It's only one verse, but there's so much richness to be found within this verse. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. Flip over to the next chapter to Acts 4 and let's read verse 13. It says this of the Sanhedrin, this council of rabbis. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they, Peter and John, that they had been with Jesus. Now, I want to take most of the time we have, and I want to focus in on this one verse, and I just want to pull three things out of it that really stand out to me this morning, okay? The first one, if you're taking notes, let's talk for a moment, number one, about boldness. It says that they marveled at the boldness of Peter and John. Now, when we talk about boldness, there's one verse, and I said earlier when we were reading in Acts 3 that it's my favorite verse there in that story of the lame man being healed. Acts 3 and verse 6 says this, and really this encompasses the boldness that Peter and John were walking in so perfectly. Acts 3, 6 says, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but instead he looks at the lame man and says, what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, many of us know this story well because we've read it or we've heard it so many times. But have you ever stopped and considered how crazy this would have seemed to the people who saw it? Because imagine the man sitting there and Peter and John, they don't walk up to him and start asking him questions. They don't ask him how he got in this condition. They don't ask why he's in this shape or what's going on, the other surrounding details of his life. In fact, Scripture says that they didn't ask him any questions at all. Now, I want you to notice that Peter doesn't stop and ask God to heal the man. He doesn't ask him if he has kept all of the Jewish law in order to qualify for God's mercy or God's healing. He doesn't check out his theology to see what he really believes. He doesn't say, so before we go through with praying for you, let me just ask, are you charismatic? Are you Pentecostal? Do you have Reformed theology? Like, where are you at in your belief system? He doesn't do any of that. Are you a continuationist? Do you believe the gifts are for today? Are you a cessationist? What's your church background? Are you Calvinist? Are you Arminian? He doesn't ask him any of those questions. Do you believe in the rapture? How do you feel about end times? If you do believe in the rapture, are you pre, mid, or post-tribulation? Are you an amillennialist? He doesn't ask him any of these questions that would only get in the way of the thing that God wants to do. In fact, I'll say it again, he doesn't ask him any questions at all. Instead... We see that Peter doesn't, doesn't ask anything, but rather gives a command. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to ask you a question this morning, church. When was the last time that you did something really, really bold for Jesus? In first service, the room went quiet just like that because I think for a lot of us, we have different, you know, kind of reactions to that. Many of us, we think about doing something bold for God and we're like, you know, it's hard to do something bold for God because sometimes people might think I'm a little bit crazy if I step out in faith and do something bold. Maybe you've had an experience in your life where you think back to a time where you tried to do something bold for God, but it didn't really go the way that you had planned. 
Or maybe you're here this morning, and when you think about the idea of doing something bold for Jesus, you're like, honestly, Zach, I don't think I've ever really stepped out of my comfort zone to minister to somebody else and do something bold for Jesus. Now, boldness is an interesting word, and I want to talk a little bit more about this because I believe with all of my heart that God is calling all of us, you and me, as followers of Christ, to step out of our comfort zone on a daily basis when opportunities present themselves and do something bold for the kingdom of God. And sometimes that means being uncomfortable. Sometimes it means even being a little bit unusual. But God is calling us to be bold. And when you see this word boldness in the original writings... It's the word parisia in the Greek, and what it means is freedom in speaking, unreserved in speech, free and fearless confidence. And for many of us, that is exactly the opposite of how we tend to walk out our Christian lives outside of our own homes. We don't walk around unreserved, bold, and confident. Instead, we find ourselves sometimes being timid or even intimidated. Being intimidated is the state of being overwhelmed by timidity. It's like we get paralyzed by our fears, by our worries, by our concerns, what other people might think. We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel unsure. We can even feel intimidated. But Peter and John stepped up in confidence in this word boldness, and God did something miraculous through them. And I want to stay here for just a moment and give you a couple of illustrations, if I can, that I hope will help here. Sometimes doing something bold for Jesus means you step out of the box of comfort and things get really awkward really fast. But God's calling you to do something a little bit unusual. Now, I don't like weird things, okay? I don't like it when weird things happen in church. I don't like like it when Christians come up to me and say strange things or weird things or make me feel uncomfortable. I would love it if everything that we as Christians did was totally normal, sane, and comfortable. But sometimes God calls us to jump out of that box, And I'll tell you a couple of stories. I heard a pastor tell this story several years ago. This is a pastor that I have so much respect for. In fact, this pastor was running, I didn't say this in first service, he was overseeing the meeting that I gave my heart to Christ in when I was seven years old. I heard him tell a story several years ago from his church. He said he was in an evening service at their church and during praise and worship, he felt like the Holy Spirit just started speaking something very specific to him. And he said, I started just kind of taking in what I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me and what he wanted me to say to the church. He said, and as I sat there and I listened to the Holy Spirit, I thought, oh, Lord, if I get up there and say this, these people are going to think I'm crazy. I'm going to lose all credibility. Are you sure about this? He said, so before I did it, I asked God again, Lord, are you sure that this is you? Are you sure that this is what you want me to say? He said, but again, I just had this conviction in my heart that I was to stand up and say this. He said, so I stood up in front of my whole church and I said, okay, I feel like the Lord has given me a word that I wanna share and I know this might sound crazy, but follow me. There's somebody here. You've got mustard in your eyes. I don't know how you got mustard in your eyes. I don't know why you would get mustard in your eyes, but you've got mustard in your eyes and the Lord wants you to know that he knows about your situation and he wants to touch you right here where you're at tonight. He says, who is that person? He said, my church looked back at me like. He's like, Pins are dropping, crickets begin to sound, and it's like nobody is responding. He goes, well, now I'm halfway across the bridge, and my whole church thinks I'm crazy. He said, so I just said it again. I felt like this is what the Lord told me, so I'm going to say it again, and I want to know who it is. There's somebody here. You've got mustard in your eyes. I don't know how you got mustard in your eyes. I don't know why you would get mustard in your eyes, but you've got mustard in your eyes, and God wants you to know that he sees your situation, and he wants to touch you right here tonight. Who is that? 
said he looked around and nobody responded. In fact, the room just got colder and quieter. And he said, I thought, there's no way I can preach now. (laughs) He said, we're going to sing one more song. And he looked at the worship team and they sang another song. He said, I went back and sat down in the front row and I sought the Lord like I have never sought the Lord before. God, I just made a total fool of myself. I'm not so sure that you're in this. Is this really you? He said, the song was over and I got up to preach and I looked at my church and I said, listen, I felt so strongly that's what the Lord told me and if I miss God, I'm gonna be the first one to come back next week and tell you. But I'm gonna seek the Lord out this week and I'm gonna figure out what's going on and why I had that impression in my heart. He said, so I got up and I preached the shortest message I've ever preached in my whole life. He said, I got done, and when church was over, I didn't want to meet any new people. I didn't want to go to dinner. I didn't want to shake any hands. He said, I picked up my stuff. I made a beeline for the door, and I went straight out to the car. He said, I'm on my way to the car, hanging my head, thinking, oh, my Lord, I wouldn't be surprised if half the church doesn't come back next Sunday. He said, as I'm walking to my car, this woman starts yelling my name from across the parking lot. And she starts running up saying, Pastor, Pastor, like a crazy person. He said, and I turn around and see her coming, and she's dragging her friend right behind her like this. And she says, Pastor, you need to meet my friend. And he said, why do I need to meet your friend? Because she's the one with mustard in her eyes. And this woman walks up to the pastor with tears streaming down her face. And she said, my friend invited me. We're co-workers. My friend invited me to come to church tonight, and I'm an atheist. I've told her for weeks and weeks and weeks, I don't want to go to church. I don't believe what you believe. I don't believe there is a God, especially a God who could care about my personal life. She says, I have issues in my hands, and pretty frequently I go to get hand massages. And the same woman that always gives me a hand massage today gave me a hand massage after eating a sandwich with very hot mustard in it. She did not wash her hands thoroughly. I went on to rub my eyes later, and my eyes have been burning for hours. Hours. And when my friend said, you're going to come to church with me tonight, she said, I just resisted and resisted and resisted, but I couldn't get away from it. I walked into this room tonight, and you said, there's somebody here tonight with mustard in your eyes. And I'm telling you that right now, in this moment, I know and I believe that there is a God who knows me, who sees me, who sees what's going on in my life. And tonight, I believe. Now listen, I've never done anything like that before. I would say that's bold. Anybody else? But let me give you a more practical example. Several months ago, right here at the bridge, I was sitting in service right down here in the front row. There's a woman in our church that was just sitting right around from me, like right behind me. And while Pastor Gary was up here speaking, I turned around and looked over my shoulder for whatever reason, and I just happened to glance back and see her there. And I'm telling you, in the quarter of a second that it took for me to see her face and turn around and look back up here, it was like the Holy Spirit dropped a phrase in my heart like that. It was there. I didn't hear an audible voice. A mighty rushing wind did not blow through the auditorium. Chariots of fire did not come down. Nothing crazy happened. It's like God just, boom, dropped it right there in my mind. And he said, soon and suddenly. And I looked at my wife and I said, because you guys know me, this is what I do. I cry. I'm like, I feel like God just spoke to me and I'm supposed to say this to her. But I don't know that I want to do that. (laughs) She said, why? I said, because what if it's not God? What if it doesn't mean anything to her? And she looks at me and says, yeah, but what if it is God and you don't tell her? So after church, I went outside and I talked to her and I, I knew some of the circumstances of her life, but I don't want to manipulate that. I was afraid of being manipulative because I know some of the things that are going on. That's one of the things I want to say about this. Anytime God gives you word, be really slow to say, the Lord told me, or thus saith the Lord. But what I learned that day was I walked up to her and I said, listen, I felt like this is what the Lord put in my heart, and I want to share it with you. You can take it or leave it. 
And if it doesn't mean anything, then let it go. All good. But I felt like the Lord said soon and suddenly, and she just, tears just overcome her. And she told me some of the things that were going on. And I said, okay. And to be honest with you, after this happened, a couple weeks went by and I forgot about it. About two months later, she came up to me and she said, this situation I told you about, she said, we have knocked on every logical door looking for an answer. And absolutely out of the blue, out of nowhere, God opened a random door. And that whole thing that you said about soon and suddenly encouraged me to hold on. And now God has opened a door. And there's an answer that we see coming down the pike here in just a few short weeks. Here's why I say this, because God wants to use you to be a minister to people around you. And I'm really slow with walking around saying, the Lord said or the Lord told me. Roll slow with that. Jesus said, or excuse me, God said it very clearly in the Old Testament, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. If God didn't like that 5,000 years ago, he doesn't like it today either. So go slow with thus saith the Lord. But listen, if you feel like God dropped something in your heart, walk up to somebody gently, kindly, and humbly and say, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share this with you. Take it or leave it, but here's what he said. All right, makes sense to everybody? Don't be afraid to do something bold for Jesus. Some of the greatest things that God will do in and through our lives will be things that make us totally and completely uncomfortable. But if we will choose to be bold, if we will choose to be confident, free in our speech and the way that we present what God has given us, he will do great things in and through our lives. Amen? All right, let's move on. I spent a lot of time there, but... I want to come back to verse 13 and look at the very next thing that we see. It says, they marveled at their boldness, but it goes on about Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Uneducated and untrained. Let's talk about those two words for just a moment. Uneducated and untrained. If you actually look at this passage in the King James, it uses different words. It doesn't say untrained or, excuse me, uneducated and untrained. It says unlearned and ignorant. Ignorant is not a word that anybody wants to have associated with them or their reputation. Yet that was the perception of Peter and John. Now, with that said, here's what I want to point out. When you see this word ignorant in the original writings, it's the word idiotes. It's literally the Greek word from which we get our English word, idiots. Now, a lot of you aren't laughing because you're probably thinking, did you just call Peter and John some of the fathers of our faith, some of the fathers of our church idiots? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is the Sanhedrin literally had this perspective, this perception of Peter and John that these are untrained, uneducated. Like these, if God can use these idiots, (laughs) then he could probably use anybody. But what's fascinating is that God has used them to heal a lame man, but not the Sanhedrin to bring healing to anybody's body. And they perceive that they're unlearned, uneducated people. See, it's amazing how often we will disqualify ourselves from ministry because we don't feel smart enough. We don't feel educated enough. We don't feel qualified enough. But the old saying is, God doesn't just call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And if we will have the boldness to step out in faith and minister to the people that God brings across our paths, we will see God do amazing things through our lives. Why? Because we aren't operating in our own strength or our own education or in our own qualifications. We're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And before we move to the last point, I really want you to notice this. It says in verse 13 that the Sanhedrin had perceived that Peter and John were uneducated and untrained. See, one thing I've learned over the years in ministry is that perception is not always reality. 
We can perceive things about people all the time, but what God is doing on the inside of them is a whole lot more than what meets the eye on the outside. We might judge a book by its cover, but that doesn't mean that we know what's going on inside of them. See, Peter and John might, might have said the same, might not have had the same education that the rabbis of the Sanhedrin had. They might not have worn the priestly robes or carried themselves the same way that traditional ministers did. But that doesn't mean they hadn't been prepared for this. Why? Because they had just spent three years with Jesus. The Sanhedrin saw them on the exterior and they saw, wow, we perceive they're unlearned, untrained, uneducated. We perceive they might as well be a bunch of idiots trying to do something under the power of some other God. They didn't know. They didn't understand. But perception was not a reality. Why? Because they have been trained by Jesus. Peter and John, along with the other ten disciples, had spent three plus years walking with Jesus. They had gotten a master class in ministry from the Savior of the world himself, and that was worth more than any education they could have gotten anywhere else. You might say, Zach, I don't have a four-year degree in Christian ministry. I'm not sure I'm qualified to minister to others. You might not have a four-year degree, but sometimes four minutes in the presence of God is all that you need to prepare yourself for the opportunities that he's put in front of you every single day of your life. Don't sell yourself short of what God wants to do in and through your life. You might feel unqualified. You might feel untrained and uneducated. You might feel like, I'm just some idiot. How could I possibly be worthy of God using me? If he could use Peter and John, if you want to spend time with God, get in his presence, he will give you a master class on how to minister to the people in your world. Amen. And all of that leads us to the third part of this, this verse that I want to close with today. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And what was the conclusion? And they realized that they had been with Jesus. We've already established all of this, but again, you got to get the picture. We first see the Sanhedrin amazed by their boldness. They had no idea how these uneducated, untrained guys could be doing something like this. Surely they don't have the power, the strength, the ability to heal a lame man. And it all brought them to one conclusion. They had been with Jesus. In closing this morning, in 1998, I remember the movie Saving Private Ryan came out in theaters. You know, one of my favorite all-time movies. My dad took my grandfather to see the movie Saving Private Ryan in the theaters when it was playing I didn't go with them that night, but I kind of wish that I had been there because it would have been an interesting experience to stand outside the doors of that theater as people walked out afterwards that night. Because for the average person who came to see the movie, they might have sat there and thought, wow, what an amazing storyline that was. What an amazing dramatic presentation of a war movie, of D-Day, of World War II, the invasion at Normandy. What an amazing storyline presentation and really what an amazing... uh, depiction of what war is actually like. They might have thought that as they walked out of the theater that night, but my grandfather, my dad told me, walked out with tears streaming down his face because he wasn't impressed so much by the story as much as the story brought back all the memories of what it was like to get off that boat and jump in the water and try to get up onto the sand because my grandfather was a D-Day survivor who was there on D-Day when they invaded the beaches of Normandy in World War II. See, something different about somebody telling you a story 
about a story they heard. And we all know what it's like when somebody tells us a story and we get to the end of it and it's like, what do we say? Uh, I guess you had to be there. We all know those kinds of stories. But then it's different when someone tells you the story and the reason they're able to tell it so effectively is because they were there. My grandfather didn't like to talk about the war. <laughs> I miss that guy. He didn't like to talk about it because every time he talked about it, it just brought back the memories of what it was like to actually be there. I think in the same way, but with an opposite effect, I think Peter and John, as the years went by and their ministry began to understand that their perspective on ministry was so much greater, not because people had told them the stories about Jesus, but because they were there. And they saw it for themselves. For many of us as Christians, we fall into the trap of thinking that the effectiveness of our personal ministry on any given day is solely dependent upon how well we can tell the story of Christ, of his birth, of his death, of his resurrection. And we put this pressure on ourselves and seem to think that we have to do it perfectly in order to minister to someone. But perhaps the greatest thing that could ever be said about our own personal ministry is not how well we told the story or how well we explained scripture to others, but rather after people encountered us, they concluded that we had been with Jesus. See, Peter and John were there in Acts 1 when Jesus told them that they would receive the Holy Spirit and be given power to be his witnesses. Sometimes we hear about the Holy Spirit and we think it's all about the gift or it's all about my spirituality or showing how many people what great Christian I am. No, Jesus said you'll be endued with power to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be more effective than you could ever be on your own. No matter how well you can tell the story, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit will be on you to be my witness. And they were there when he said it. They were there in John 14 when Jesus said these things, which I do, you shall do also, and even greater things. And I imagine as they encountered the lame man there walking up to the temple that day, they were reminded of the words of Jesus, not because somebody else had said it to him, but because they were there themselves and they heard him say it, and they knew these are the opportunities that God wants to bring me to be a minister of the gospel to others. See, as we mature in our faith, we identify with different people in Scripture. We start like the lame man sometimes, and we're the ones who are needing healing. We need to receive from God. We need to receive according to our needs and our lack and the things that we want in this life. But then we grow and we become the ones who are receiving from God. Why? So that we can be distributors of the power of the Holy Spirit and meet the needs of others around us. We say here all the time at the bridge that the Holy Spirit wants to do three things. He wants, to, he, he wants to work in us, for us, and then stop right there sometimes. Because we're like, yeah, God, I see the things that you need to do in me. I got some rough edges. I, I've got some imperfection. There's some things going on in here that you need to work on, that you need to smooth out, some rough edges that you need to sand out. And, oh, Lord, I got some needs. There's some things I would love for you, Holy Spirit, to do for me. And sometimes we stop there and we don't grow to the point where we recognize that God doesn't want to just do things for us. He wants to do things through us. And this is part of our Christian walk as the, the, the Holy Spirit grows us and matures us that we see beyond ourselves and recognize there's a world around us that God wants to use us to minister to. But if we want to do it, we have to make a decision that we're going to be bold. 
Right now, what's that uncomfortable conversation that you've been afraid to have with that person that you work with? And you're thinking to yourself, I know what the word of God says about your situation. I've just been afraid to tell you. Listen, take it or leave it. This is what the word of God says. And can I pray for you? Sometimes it has to be that simple and you never know what God might do if you choose to take a small step of boldness and let him work. We have to choose to be bold. Not only that, if we want to see God, the Holy Spirit, do things through us, we have got to get past our own insecurities and inadequacies. God does not just call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And God has called each and every one of us to specific kinds of ministry to the world around us. But not only that, the greatest story that anybody could tell after encountering us as followers of Jesus wasn't how good our speech was, not how eloquent our words were, how convincing we were when we gave that pitch of the gospel to people, but that when people walked away from us, they said, they've been with Jesus. It was like when I was with you, it was like I was there in the presence of God, not, not because of you, there was just more going on. I want to tell you, my friends, God has called us to minister to the world around us. Sometimes we hear that and we think ministry, hmm, sounds like what the pastors do. No, no, no. Scripture says that we as the pastors, it is our job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God has called us, Bridge Family, to minister to our coworkers. God has called us, Bridge Family, to be bold and go talk to our neighbors who are hurting. God has called us, Bridge Family, to minister to anybody he brings across our path, even if it makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes boldness looks like this. It looks like Peter and John saying, you know, I can give you the money in my pocket that might get you a meal today, but you're still going to be begging tomorrow. So rather than give you a meal, I want to help God bring you a miracle. Silver and gold I don't have, but here's what I do have. Let me tell you something. The world around you, the people who are coming across your path, they don't want you to give them something you don't have. They just simply don't want you to give them what you do have. What we do have is faith, and what we do have is the power of the Holy Spirit who wants to work in us, for us, and through us to bring change to their lives. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to be done very, very shortly. I want to ask if everybody would hang tight till the end of service. So we can conclude, this might be a very important moment for many of you who are here this day. Maybe you're here today and you say, Zach, I feel like God is opening my eyes to opportunities all around me. Sometimes I'm timid, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm intimidated to step up and do it. Father, right now in Jesus' name, for those of us who are able to see the needs around us, for those of us who have been afraid to step out in boldness and faith, I pray supernatural boldness over all of us in Jesus' name. God, I pray for wisdom in how we handle these situations, that you would give us the right words, that we wouldn't speak foolish words, Father, but we would speak your word over people's situations, that we would not be afraid, we would not be intimidated, we would not back down, but you would sim we would simply do the thing you've called us to do. That's give away what we do have. I pray today in Jesus' name that as you stir up boldness and confidence within us, that we would see you go to work in the situations that surround us. God, minister to people around us through us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come and minister through us. God, you know we all have needs, but we want to grow beyond our own needs. We want to grow beyond our own self, and we want to see the needs of those around us. So Holy Spirit, empower us to see, give us boldness to speak, and then do what only you can do. Take over from there. Bring change in people's lives, we ask, through us, willing vessels, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.
With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for one more moment, we're going to be done in just a couple minutes. But this might be the most important moment in the service for some people because maybe you're here today and you look at your own life as we talk about God and you say, Zach, I know this is church where people believe in God and we talk about God from the Bible, but perhaps you know in your heart that you don't have a relationship with God because you've never said yes to Jesus. Scripture makes it so clear that God, our Father, our Creator, gave us life, but we were separated from that relationship, that loving relationship with God through our own sin. It was our own sin, our own failure, our own mistakes that have separated us from God. When God looked down and saw that we could not save ourselves, He threw us the life raft. He sent his only sinless, spotless son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, to die a death that we deserved on the cross for our sin, that if we would put our faith in that sacrifice, we would be saved, forgiven, redeemed, and made whole. This morning, maybe you've never made a decision to come into relationship with God by saying yes to Jesus. I'm gonna tell you there is never a better time to do that than right now. Don't leave this place without making that decision. I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a moment. I want to ask you, invite you, just wrap your, your heart around these words. Make them your own. Have your own words to God, committing your life to him. And as we pray together, I believe that you will experience salvation. So everybody right now, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you came to this earth and you died for me. I believe that your death was full payment for my sin so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that after you died, God raised you from the dead and that you conquered death, hell, and the grave so that I would not have to face it in eternity. Today, I choose you. I allow you to become my Lord and my Savior. I surrender to you. Lead me and guide me from this day forward, all the days of my life, into eternity when I see you face to face. I choose you today, Father, because you chose me first. You gave your life for me, Jesus. So today, I give mine to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last thing before we go this morning. If that's you, you made a decision to follow Christ, we wanna help you start your journey of faith. Listen, this is not the end of of things. This is simply the beginning of a new journey of faith. We have a little gift we would love to put in your hand. It's a simple tool called the next seven days. A couple ways you can get it. We'll have prayer teams right down here. Come up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made that decision. They would love to give you that gift to help you get started. If you need to go quickly at the end of service, you can stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors. Not only that, but if you're here this morning and you say, Zach, I got a need in my life, something that just feels bigger than me. I need someone to pray with me, agree with me just really encourage me, come see one of our prayer teams. That's why they are here, okay? Hey, we are so glad if you made that decision today to follow Christ, we want to welcome you into the family of God. Bridge family, can we welcome people this morning into the family? Awesome. Hey, we love you guys. Listen, if you want to get involved in any of our outreach initiatives, stop by the community care table in the foyer, and we will give you all the details. God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday and an awesome week. We love you guys.